mighty power through your Holy Spirit that lives in us. Lord, we just bless you. We lift you up in this place. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us as we look in your word this morning, that you would touch us, mold us, and make us into the image that you would have for us, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Would you be seated? My wife used to have a hard time getting up in the morning. And in college, she decided to put a sign over her bed to help her, to encourage her, to remind her to wake up in the morning. And the sign read, Christ rose from the dead, so surely I can raise from my bed. I have a very creative wife. But I ask this morning if my wife was wrong. If Christ hadn't risen from the dead. Paul the Apostle answers this question by saying, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 16 through 19. Without the resurrection of Christ, we are still dead in our sins. Without the resurrection of Christ, we are still enemies of God. Without the resurrection of Christ, we are still enslaved in bondage to the world, Satan, and the flesh. Without the resurrection of Christ, we have no hope of eternity with God. Without the resurrection of Christ, Christianity is just another false religion. Without the resurrection, Jesus is not the Messiah. Without the resurrection, Jesus is not God. The resurrection is essential to our faith and the gospel message that we preach and celebrate daily. Adrian Rogers said, Jesus Christ is alive. He is not behind us in a tomb. He is before us on his throne. Paul, talking to the church at Corinth, says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 6. So we don't have to speculate or wonder this morning because we know He has risen. We call today Resurrection Sunday, the day our Lord Jesus conquered the grave and gave us new life. Scripture says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing now that Christ died and rose again. The resurrection of Christ gives us hope. 
The resurrection of Christ gives us life. The resurrection of Christ freed us from the wrath of God. Through the resurrection of Christ, dead people are brought back to life. Through the resurrection, we have access to the Father. Through the resurrection, we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit instead of our flesh. Through the resurrection, we are adopted. We have become heirs. We are adopted into the family of God. Heirs to the throne. John MacArthur says, The truth of the resurrection gives life to every other area of the gospel truth. The resurrection is the pivot on which all of Christianity turns, and without which none of the other truths would much matter. We are so blessed, church. We have a risen Lord and Savior. As we begin this morning, let's go to him in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. We glorify you. Father, we recognize that we are so sinful as people, but yet you give us your grace. You empower us with your spirit to have victory over sin. Help us to desire to walk like Christ walked on this earth, that we desire to have a passionate relationship with you, and that we walk in your holiness, in your love, that we are humble, walking in humility, not full of pride and arrogance. Father, we ask that you empower us as a church body to turn Marco Island upside down for your glory. We ask that you be with all the other Bible-believing churches this morning and that you empower us all to work for your glory and your glory alone. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we finish our series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is called The Upside-Down Kingdom. And we called this series The Upside-Down Kingdom because Christ literally turned the world upside down with his life, death, and resurrection. And this takes us to our next section, where two men build two houses on two different foundations. So if you have your Bibles opened up to Matthew 7, 24 through 27, that's Matthew 7, 24 through 27. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. And it says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So the first question that comes to my mind is who is Christ speaking to? And not only then, but who is he speaking to in our day? In 2014, well, let's look back at verse 24. 
and reread it again. It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine. So who in our present day hears from Christ? Who in our present day hears from Christ? And I would suggest it would be those who have Bibles, who read their Bibles, those who are part of a church community, a Bible-believing church. Jesus is talking to professing Christians. That means this morning, he is talking to us. He is talking to us. So let's go back to verse 24, and I'm going to do something a little different here. We're going to read verse 24, and then skip down to verse 26. So try to follow me. I'm going to be a little confusing here, but just try to follow me here. We're going to start with verse 24, and it says, Everyone who then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Skip down to verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So the wise man built his house on the rock while the fool built his house on the sand. What is the significance of the rock and the sand? The rock represents strength, stability, protection, while the sand represents weakness, instability, and vulnerability. The wise built on a lasting, firm foundation, while the fool built on a temporal and destructive foundation. And this leads to truth number one. Truth number one says everyone builds on a foundation. Everyone builds on a foundation. And in a society that deems every foundation okay and acceptable, as we hear phrases like, all religions lead to the same place, or your truth is right for you, but it's not really right for me, or truth is found when you follow your heart. And then my personal favorite, truth is doing what makes you happy. So, are all foundations okay and acceptable to God? Do they all lead to heaven? Well, turn with me to John 14, verse 6. John 14, verse 6. This is a very familiar passage. Most of you will know it. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christ says, there is only one way, one access to God, one way to find forgiveness of sins, one way to become a true child of God, and that is through Christ Jesus alone. And some may think this seems hard to believe. I mean, it sounds so harsh to say Christ is the only way. It sounds so much nicer to say that Christ is one of many ways. We don't want people to think Christ is narrow and closed-minded, do we? We don't want to turn people away from Christ. Well, I would say the people of Jesus' day didn't like what he said either. 
because they beat him, they mocked him, and they finally killed him for his unbending, unyielding passion to glorify God at every point in his life. Are we building on the true foundation this morning? Are we building on the foundation of Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior? Or are we building on ourselves? Let's go back to verse 24. And we'll do the same thing. Look at verse 24 and skip down to 26 again. And it says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine does and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. This leads to truth number two. Truth number two says we are either building a foundation on Christ or self. We are either building a foundation on Christ or self. The wise man builds on the rock, which we know is Christ. While the fool builds on the sand, which means he's building his own way. He's building on himself. Who are we trusting this morning? Turn with me to Jeremiah 17.5. Jeremiah 17.5. God's word says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. When we trust in our own ways, this verse says we are naturally cursed, right? It started out saying, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Why? Because when We trust in ourselves. Our heart naturally turns away from the Lord because we begin to work in our own strength instead of working in Christ's strength. Trusting and depending on self is building on the foundation of self. And I want to give you five quick ways that we often trust in our own ways and we trust ourselves. So we'll go through these pretty quickly. That means some of the references you might just have to jot down. But number one, we trust in ourselves when we think we are good. We trust in ourselves when we think we are good. And the first place I want to look at is Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. This is the Paul the Apostle. And he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then if we go to Romans 7 on another occasion, Paul says, nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. The good that we accomplish is because Christ is working in us and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not us who gets the credit for the good things we do. It is Christ. He gets the credit. Number two, we trust in ourselves when we don't see our sin. We trust in ourselves when we don't see our sin. The first person our sin deceives and blinds is who? Ourselves. 
ourselves. Sin is deceiving. We've looked at Jeremiah 17.9 very many times. It says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Or turn with me to Proverbs 21.2. I'll give you a second to go there. Proverbs 21.2. Because this reveals how deceiving sin really is. And how it actually plays out in our daily life. Proverbs 21.2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Let me read that again. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. We often think our ways are right even when they're wrong because sin is deceiving. We are often drunk on ourselves thinking that our ways are always correct and right. That is why we must measure our lives, measure what we are deciding by the authority of the Word of God as our guide. But not only that, we need to be plugged into a good Bible-believing church as a member, committed member, wherever it is, whether here or somewhere else, but that we are accountable to one another because we don't often see our blind spots. We need help as brothers and sisters. Number three, we often trust in ourselves when we compare ourselves to other people. When we compare ourselves to other people, and I want to look at 2 Corinthians 10, 12 for this one. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says this, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with someone who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. When we start looking at others as a standard instead of Christ, we get a skewed perspective of ourselves and other people. But worse than that, we lose our focus on glorifying and comparing ourselves to Christ, who is the real standard. Number four, we trust in ourselves when we read the Bible for knowledge alone. Let me say that one again, because this is one I think a lot of us struggle with. Number four says, we trust in ourselves when we read the Bible for knowledge alone. First Corinthians says what? Knowledge puffs up while love builds up, right? When we, why do we read our Bibles? Why do we read our Bibles? We should read God's word with a heart to love God and to love others. That's why we should be reading our Bibles. Often we are reading to gain more knowledge, and that is okay if it is for God's glory. But often, I know for myself, it is often for my own benefit that I'm reading the Bible. To know more for, more for knowledge's sake is a focus on self. I know we always get back to this, don't we? It's always, it goes back to a focus on self. We can even read the Bible sinfully. And this is dangerous because this builds us up in pride and arrogance. We don't have enough room to love other people when we're reading the Bible that way. Look at the Pharisees. Number five. 
We trust in ourselves when we are controlled by our emotions. We trust in ourselves when we are controlled by our emotions. We are often our worst enemy. I'm sure many of us have found that out. But when I am led by how I am feeling, my life becomes a roller coaster ride because I'm happy, sad, happy, depressed, angry, frustrated, and I live my life that way. And the way I see life is through my emotions. And that will be a schizophrenic way of living life. And it's, again, who is it focused on? Self. Trusting in self. Ephesians 6, 17 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. God's word is there to guide us. It's there to lighten our path. We need to be in our Bibles because it's supposed to be what speaks reality into when we are being deceived by our heart and our emotions. God's word is our guide. But let's go back to uh, Matthew seven twenty four. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm only going to read some of 724 and skip down to verse 26 again. And it says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. We see in in these two passages that all listened to Christ. But only some obeyed. So, They all heard what he had to say. The wise man obeyed Christ while the fool heard Christ, but did not walk in the ways that he was called to. So they both probably were professing Christians again, but those who truly walk and obey Christ are truly his children. And this leads to truth number three. Truth number three says the true believer obeys Christ. Christ. The true believer obeys Christ. And please don't hear me say obey perfectly. I recognize that we sin daily as believers. For example, as a husband, and my wife can vouch for this, as a husband, I'm supposed to love her perfectly like Christ loved the church. And many times, out of pride, out of arrogance, out of anger, out of fear, out of frustration. I don't love her that way. I often love her sinfully, self-centeredly, and not perfectly like Christ calls me to do. So I clearly understand that in just that area alone, I fail miserably. And that's not bringing up numerous other areas that reveal that I am desperate for God's grace daily. John Owen once said this, a due consideration of God and a due consideration to ourselves of God in his greatness, glory, holiness, power, majesty, and authority of ourselves in our mean, object, and sinful condition. Owen's point compared to a perfect, holy, sovereign God, we are stained and saturated in sin. That is why we need a Savior, because we are sinful. Our sin is great, but our Savior is greater. Amen? But as a believer, I should be heartbroken over the sin that I still struggle with. And I 
should continue to hunger to mature and grow in the Lord. Remember, I don't know if you remember, but our fourth beatitude was, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And they will be satisfied, or in the NIV, or they will be fulfilled. Do we desire to be holy? Are we becoming more holy? That's part of what it means to be sanctified in Christ. It's a continual growing in our faith, and we become more like our Savior. Are we growing spiritually? Paul tells us to examine ourselves to see if we are even in the faith. If we don't desire to obey Christ, if we don't have a passion for Christ, if we aren't growing in holiness, we may need to truly turn to Christ in faith and repentance for the very first time. Inward transformation leads to Godward living Or inward transformation leads to outward fruit. How can we be changed inwardly and have no outward fruit? Or to say it another way, how can we say Christ is our Lord if we don't obey him? Well, turn with me to James 14, James 2, 14 through 17. James 2, 14 through 17. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, and he says this, What good is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James tells us here that dead faith equals no faith. Real faith is alive, it's active, it's working. Faith works itself out of us because the Holy Spirit is living inside of us. Faith works from the inside out. Paul says to live in is Christ. To live is Christ in Philippians 1. That means Christ lives in our homes. That means that Christ lives in our marriages. That means that Christ lives through our parenting. The way we're raising our children. That means Christ lives in our thought life. That means Christ lives in our churches. That means Christ lives in our free time. Because Christ lives in his children. Does Christ live in us this morning? Is he Lord over our life? Let's get back to the text, though, in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. This time we're just going to read through the whole section. No skipping. And it says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them 
will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. So the wise man and the fool both thought they were safe. They believed that they were secure with the foundation that they built on. But, but, the rain began to come down. The wind started to howl. Severe thunderstorms turned into tornadoes and flooding. The fool sat in his house with a false sense of security and a false sense of safety. The storms raged on and the house began to shake and the fool knew he was doomed. But by this time it was too late. And then with a loud crash, the house collapsed. What foundation are we building on this morning? Truth number four says Christ is the firm foundation. Our final point says Christ is the firm foundation. Christ conquered sin and death and was raised to life. And 2,000 years later, we are celebrating the resurrection. Amen. Turn with me to Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And this gives us just a glimpse of how mighty and powerful and glorious our Savior Jesus Christ really is the resurrected Lord. And Paul says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Unbelievable. We are so blessed. We can depend on Christ. He is our rock. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. Christ is the foundation that we will hold on to when we are facing struggles, tough situations, and painful sufferings. Christ will meet us at our darkest hour. He has met us often at our darkest hour. And you may be in the middle of a crisis right now. Maybe you are facing the loss of a loved one. And you now feel lost yourself. The, the person you cared about most is now gone. Others may be facing trials of many kinds and are feeling down and depressed. Because the situations just continue to come. And you're overwhelmed. Still others are struggling in their marriages and their home life where fighting and arguing is escalating. And you are losing hope quickly. Not sure what to do, 
who to turn to. You're afraid people will look down on you because you're struggling. Who are we building our house on? Who are we building on? Christ cares for his children. He is the comforter in times of sorrow. Christ is the great healer who transforms us when we are suffering. Christ is our hope when we are feeling hopeless. Christ is our protector when we are surrounded by the enemy. Christ is our parent when we need guidance. Christ is our sovereign God who has us in the palm of his hand. He is trustworthy. Christ is working for his glory and our good. Are we trusting Christ this morning? May we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord every day. Every day as our God is not dead in a tomb like all other false gods, but he is alive and well. In closing, If you are struggling, you don't know Christ, and God is opening your eyes to these truths that we're discussing, please come talk to Casey or myself. Or if you need prayer or counsel, maybe it's a marital situation, we'd love to sit down with you and open up God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. We're here through the week. We have a sign-up sheet in the foyer if you'd like to sit down and talk to us. But we are blessed, church, and we have a lot of other people with a lot of wisdom that would love to help as well. But as we close this morning, I am going to end us in a prayer. So if you'd all stand up. And then we are going to go outside and celebrate with those who are being baptized this morning. Holy, sovereign God, we recognize there is none like you. Help us to be a church that is centered on Christ Centered on Christ, not on personalities, but centered on Christ, who are walking in your ways, who are dependent on you as a body, who are willing to be totally sold out for the Lord, committed to one another as a true family. Help us to be those type of Christians so when non-Christians look at the church, they are in awe of the love and the selfless love that we show to one another because of our love for Christ. Oh God, we thank you for raising your son from the dead. We thank you for your spirit who is living in us. That same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us if we are believers. And we thank you for that. We ask that we all be dedicated and committed to you. Know the word of God. Spend time in prayer. We ask that we can rally around our brothers and sisters who are getting baptized this morning. We thank you for your love and your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.